that looks good. Let me circle that. I'm gonna get that to match with my stonewashed Arizona jeans and my fresh K-Swiss. Ooh, I'm gonna be looking so good. Uh, uh, did, did the music, who started the music already? Oh, well, well welcome back, healthy people. <laughs> you kind of caught me flipping through my new JCPenney spring catalog. Can't wait to get some new clothes for the springtime. Been trapped in quarantine, so I need a new fresh outfit. And JC Pitney sent me a nice magazine that I've been circling through and finding what I'm gonna order for the springtime. Can't wait to order these new clothes for the spring, have them shipped in about two weeks, and pick them up four weeks later at the store in the mall. Nothing like good old 1990s shipping logistics. But let's get the podcast started. On this week's HPI, aka Healthy People Information, I'm discussing phases of a vaccine trial. The guests I talked with this week participated in the Pfizer vaccine trial. Consequently, I thought it was incredibly important to discuss the different phases of a vaccine trial. Just like in dating, there are different phases. This also holds true with vaccine trials. Side note, according to Google, there are five stages of dating. Initial meeting, infatuation, becoming a couple, engagement, and remorse. Just playing on the last step, maybe. But back to vaccine trials. The first step in the development of a vaccine trial is the exploratory stage. During this stage, scientists identify natural or synthetic antigens that might help prevent or treat a disease. What are antigens, Dr. Randy? Well, antigens are foreign substances that induce an immune reaction in your body. Examples of antigens can be genetic materials such as mRNA, which was used in the COVID vaccine, proteins, and weakened viruses. Next, after you pick which antigen you want to use, you can start giving it to people? No inner voice, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. Next is the preclinical stage. In this stage, cells, mice, and possibly monkeys are tested with the potential vaccine. The protein coding regions of mice and human genomes are about 85% identical. Consequently, that is one of the main reasons they are used for experiments for vaccinations. So that's why Master Splinter from the Ninja Turtles is able to talk. It's because its genetic components are very similar to humans. Research using these animal models and cells helps give researchers an idea of the cellular responses they may expect in humans. In addition to this, they may also suggest a safe starting dose for the next phase of research as well as a safe method of administering the vaccine. Remember in a previous episode, I discussed the different ways vaccines can be administered. I hope you remember how they can be administered. If not, go back and check out that episode. The company making the vaccine then submits an investigational new drug application to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. In the application, they describe the vaccine that they're working on, how it is made, initial laboratory reports, and the additional studies they will perform to determine the efficacy of the vaccine. If approved by the FDA, the vaccine moves into phase one of the vaccine trial. During phase one, the vaccine is tested on approximately 20 to 80 healthy individuals. The goal of phase one testing is to assess the safety of the candidate vaccine and to determine the type and extent of immune response that the vaccine provokes. 
So that's why they give it to healthy people initially. You don't want to start testing the vaccine on unhealthy individuals. You want healthy test subjects just in case there's an extreme reaction or a side effect in general. You want it to occur in a healthy individual rather than a sick individual because a healthy individual will be more than likely to recover from the possible side effect. Researchers may also perform the challenge trials in phase one. Challenge trials are trials in which participants are intentionally giving an infectious disease organism. So they give them whatever the bacteria or virus they're trying to treat, you give that to that subject on purpose. The challenge organism may be close to the normal pathogenic organism adapted it may be weakened or it may be genetically modified. So there's multiple different ways that that organism can be given to that subject. So they're giving the virus or bacteria to a healthy individual who is being tested with a vaccine. So they wanna see how the body reacts when that infectious organism is in the body with a person who has been vaccinated. So that's the challenge trial. During phase two of a vaccine trial, a larger test group of individuals are tested. So we're in the hundreds of people now. These individuals also may include groups at risk of acquiring the disease. So if you're developing a vaccine for older individuals, this would be a group in phase two that will be included. You start off with some young, healthy people, and if that vaccine is made for older individuals, they wouldn't be a part of the trial until phase two. Participants are randomized and there is a placebo group. A placebo is when you don't actually give a person a vaccine. You give them like salt water, which is basically a saline solution. If it's a um, injected vaccine or if it's in pill form, you may just give them a sugar pill. That's just how research is done in general on phase two. The goal of phase two is to assess the vaccine safety, immunogenicity, proposed doses, schedule of immunizations, and method of delivery. Phase one and two usually take a couple of years to complete. However, with the development of the COVID vaccine, some of these initial phases were combined. Phase three trials include multiple thousands of people and are double-blinded. So what does double-blinding mean? A double-blind study is one in which neither the participants nor the experimenters know who is receiving the vaccine or a placebo. In the end, they labeled them who has a placebo and who has the actual vaccine, but the researchers are kind of blinded until the end of the study knowing who received which one. Also, the test subjects don't know which one they're receiving. You'll learn this in the interview portion where my guest kind of discusses which um, she didn't know which one that she was in, the placebo group or the group that actually received the vaccine. This procedure is utilized to prevent bias in research results. The goal of phase three of a vaccine trial is to assess the vaccine safety profile and efficacy on a larger scale. Once phase three is completed and is successful, the manufacturer submits a biologics license application. The FDA will tour the factory and then give its final thumbs up or thumbs down on the vaccine. After the vaccine is released, the vaccine is still monitored by the FDA and other entities for adverse effects or other problems that may arise later on. Well, that's your HPI for vaccine trials. This week's guest is Ashley Neely. 
Ashley Neely is an assistant director of the federal government and the founder and chief creative officer of Mindly Mavern LLC, a web design company. Ashley was one of the participants in the Pfizer COVID vaccine trial. I wanted to have her on to share a story on what prompted her to participate in the trial. What effects did she have, if any, when she was possibly vaccinated or the placebo? Leave you on the cliffhanger so you'll have to listen to find out which one that she received. And I wanted her to give her opinion on why people should get vaccinated. Well, here's the interview with Ashley Neely. Let's get into it. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another great episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. I have Ashley Neely here. She was a participant in the Pfizer trial for the corona vaccine, so I thought it would be pertinent to have her on the show to discuss her being in the trial, what happened to her being in the vaccine trial, and why she's been so diligent about making sure everybody goes out and get their vaccine when it's time for them to get their vaccine. So welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Yeah, thanks for having me, Randy. All right. So when did you first hear about Corona? Yeah, I think it was almost a year ago. Um, So January 2021. Hmm. I remember hearing about it because I actually had a cousin who lived in Beijing at the time in China. Okay. And we were a little bit worried, but we didn't, you know, of course, didn't think it was going to get to the U.S. anytime. But I took a trip to San Francisco and Seattle. So I actually remember getting an alert while I was there saying the first COVID test, I mean, COVID case was detected in Seattle while I was there. <laughs> and so I was really afraid because, you know, no one knew. got to get out of here. Yeah. Because I was like, am I going to get this going through the airport? You know, I don't own a mask or anything like that. And nobody really had any guidance on what to do or how this thing was spread. So that's when I first heard about it. it was literally when I was, um, when I heard about it, but learned about it then, but then it hit close to home when I was in the city that they said <laughs> the first case was detected and had to go through that airport literally that next day. So you said you had a family member living in China when it started? Yes. Uh-huh. He was living in Beijing and he had, I want to say fled, but fled to Australia for a little while, as long as he could while, you know, everyone thought was going to pass, but mm-hmm. eventually he had to go back <laughs> to Beijing, um, while everything was happening and just pretty much stay in lockdown. So that's kind of got a lot of the stuff from him learning about what was going on there too. Okay. So what kind of stuff was he telling you was going on over there? Cause that's kind of where all the chaos started. At. Yeah. So um, I had actually visited him a year before that. So that was my first time going to China and even just learning about their culture and the fact that everyone wears masks in general. So it wasn't like they had to adapt to any kind of new practices as far as um, wearing masks. Of course, social distancing is almost impossible on their way they um, do their trains and all that. But one thing he told us was just that they weren't allowed to go anywhere. Um, <laughs> they had to pretty much stay on lockdown. In China, they have um, an app, I think it's called WeChat, where the government can pretty much track everything that you do. So they kind of know if you're not going to work or anything like that. So the only thing he was allowed to do was go to Sam's Club to buy food and then come, go back to his apartment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it was pretty um, strict. And I forget how long they were in lockdown, but he was just kind of chronicling every day, just doing video chats on Facebook about what was happening there. Okay. What kind of things was he saying on the video chat? Did it seem like a grim scenario that was going on then? 
Yeah, from what um, he could um, say, so pretty much everything was kind of shut down. Nobody was really allowed to leave unless you were going to work or back. He's a teacher, so of course he wasn't teaching during that time. So it kind of gave us a glimpse of what we thought was going to happen in um, <laughs> in um, the U.S., which never happened that way. But it seemed like they were okay, but everything just pretty much came to a, stand, a standstill down there. Okay. Were you worried once it got over here? Um, yes, I was um, worried just because it was so new. Nobody really knew how to um, solve this. Um, we didn't know how you could catch it. I've never had the flu before. So, I, you know, people compared it to that originally, but I don't even know what that feels like. <laughs> but it seemed like this one was just spreading faster. And especially when we had the first death report, we realized, okay, this is something real. So I don't think it really hit, understood the gravity of it until we actually got a working test. And then they started reporting the cases <laughs> and all the mm -hmm. things in different areas around you. So I think that's when it made me a little bit scared. And then in March, I think right before we shut down the last weekend, I think it was right before St. Patrick's Day. I know um, sneezing and all, uh-oh, sorry, that's my dog in the background as I say sneezing. <laughs> I know sneezing's not a, um, wasn't necessarily a um, symptom they mentioned, but I had really bad allergies. So then I was thinking that I had COVID because nobody knew <laughs> what it was. And every time I would sneeze in public, people were looking at me crazy and, <laughs> and all of that. So that was my yeah encounter with it. So of course, like everyone else, I stocked up on all the food and necessities I needed because I was prepared to just be home, you know, for a, a long time. Right, right. So speaking of kind of stocking up for food and being home more, how did life change for you personally once COVID started running rampant over here in America? Yeah, so I feel like my life is a lot of involved with a lot of organizations and everything's event centric. Mm -hmm. So I guess it got real once I saw a lot of events being canceled. So anything that I was normally going to go to in person ended up being canceled um, whenever my job um, too. We primarily worked from home before, but whenever they gave us guidance to not you know come in at all, started to get real. So everything just started to get more virtual. And also you kind of figured out what was, I guess, more most important to do. So you realize, okay, we do all this stuff, but some of these things can be done virtually or don't really need to be done at all. So I feel like that's where it impacted mostly social, socially, <laughs> and then um, just not having to be in person with people and especially being away from my family too, since I was the only person that's not, that doesn't live around them. Okay. It's hard doing all this stuff virtually and event-wise, especially living here in Atlanta. Yes. <laughs> this is the city where there's always something to do and always events going on. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm going through e event withdrawals over here. I'm going through <laughs> from not being able to go to concerts and plays. Right. Going to festivals at the parks and stuff. It's, it's hard living in Atlanta when there's always something to do. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so you decided to get in the vaccine trial. Yes. What was your thought process in wanting to get into the vaccine trial? Yeah, so I think I was always trying to figure out what I could do. One of the things that also helped prompt my decision was I took an antibody test before, way before I think I about, thought about joining a trial, and I saw that I had a positive antibody test despite primarily being at home all the time. Um, so that made me a little, like a little, you know, you feel a little weird after that because you don't know if you gave it to anybody else. You don't know if you were actually ever sick or anything like that. But mm -hmm. to have this positive antibody test, it makes you a little scared. And then also the fact that it's, you know, spreading faster than you might think. So once that happened and I saw there were opportunities for clinical trials, it made me a little hesitant to do it. Even though I didn't know at the time when I signed up for the trial about mRNA or anything like that, 
So I just figured if I could beat COVID, you know, quote unquote, once, <laughs> then going through a clinical trial shouldn't be that hard. The reason I signed up or like the point in time I remember saying that I wanted to do a clinical trial was when I was watching a congressional hearing with Dr. Fauci about, about vaccine development. And he had mentioned that there needed to be, you know, African-Americans in the clinical trial or the vaccine, you know, wouldn't be, couldn't be produced. And I didn't know anything about clinical trials before that I've never participated in anything like this. But the more I started to research about clinical trials and representation, the more it made sense that I was willing to do it, that I should um, sign up and participate for it. And I also didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know at the time, too, that there was a chance you might get a placebo. I thought I was just going to get the vaccine and, you know, be free <laughs> and all that, too. But I still, yes, yeah, signed up and got a call the same day um, that I signed up when I saw a Facebook ad and so decided to move forward um, with the trial. Okay. What went into your research, getting all the information that you needed to make sure that you want to participate in a clinical trial? I know that's always kind of scary participating in a clinical trial. Us as people of color, we're always bringing up, which is understandable, Tuskegee Mm -hmm. experiments and other um, cases when we've been experimented on. So what kind of research did you do to make sure that you would feel safe going into a trial? Yeah. So when I signed up for the trial, I didn't know who was conducting it. They didn't mention that on the phone. Mm -hmm. So when they sent me the informed consent document, which was, you know, about a thing about 13 or 20 page document about everything that the trial is doing, what could possibly go wrong. And the only thing that they mentioned that could go wrong would be having, well, not necessarily wrong, but the only side effects they mentioned you could have are flu-like symptoms. And I figured, okay, I can deal with, you know, um, flu-like symptoms if that was the only thing that came out of the previous phases. And then when I saw it was Pfizer, that actually made me feel better about it because I didn't know who was doing it at first. And I figured, okay, I'm familiar with Pfizer. I know they're a large um, pharmaceutical company. So I felt more safe doing it then. And then also when I Googled Pfizer, not knowing they had a, you know, we're producing a vaccine. The first thing I think came up were like stock market <laughs> projections for them. So I saw that um, even like before I even started the trial, that there were already pre-sales that were done for the um, product and all the, of that. So that made me feel like, okay, they're definitely coming out with the product that everyone feels good about. The fact that people mm-hmm. are now buying stock in it and that they've already pre-sold, you know, billions of doses around the world. So all those things combined made me feel more comfortable participating. Okay. So that made you feel more comfortable participating. What about your friends and family members? How did they feel about you participating? I'm sure they were all excited for you to jump on board to be <laughs> one of the people to get the early vaccine. Yeah. So they always think I'm, you know, I'm always usually doing something. I wouldn't say anything. I don't even call it extreme, but this extreme. (laughs) Um, So, of course, when I, you know, signed up, you know, people are like, well, why would you want to do something like that? And then Mm -hmm. as people Googled it and found out, oh, you know, mRNA hasn't been used in humans before. Why would you volunteer yourself to go through this? Um, Have you heard about Tuskegee and all those different things came into play? And it made me, of course, hesitant about it, but I had to just go back to what I read, to what I knew about the the study, and even just say, you know, now that I know it's a double-blinded study, like I could potentially just be getting a placebo and not getting the vaccine, we don't know. Mm -hmm. So all those things combined made me feel better about it. And of course, you know, as I participated and went through the process, that made them feel better too. And also, I think it would be a little bit different if I were like the first person getting the vaccine, like a phase one, which I think is a little more risky. You know, (laughs) I don't know if I would not, I don't know if I'm that brave yet. But since I was in the later phases, I said, you know, it's already been tested, you know, in at least 100 or so people that I'm going to be like one of 40,000 or so that are just doing this too. Okay. Okay. So tell about a little bit about the logistics, the process of you applied, you got accepted, where'd you go to get your vaccine? How did they monitor you? All that type of stuff. 
Yeah. So they do a quick um, phone screening. So for Pfizer's trial, I had tried signing up for um, on the COVID prevention network at first, which I think was just screening for Moderna at that time. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't have had any um, a prior gets positive COVID test, which I didn't, but they probably test your antibodies. So I never got called back for that one. So for Pfizer on the phone, I asked them if I had a positive um, antibody test, could I still participate? And they said yes. So they pretty much were taking anyone. And I also think for Moderna, you had to kind of be more around people. So they didn't really want people that work from home. They wanted people that would have more exposure to folks to make, you know, so they have a higher chance, I guess, of catching COVID for the data. So, yeah, so I asked those questions during for Pfizer and he said all that was fine. I think at this point, they were just looking for healthy volunteers. Mm -hmm. So what they have you do at your first appointment is bring any medications that you're on. And so they just go over that with you to ask you everything that you're taking. Um, They take your height and weight. If you are a woman, um, you have to take a pregnancy test. So they don't let you move forward if that test comes back positive. The doctor also screens you or what they call the investigator. So he asked about a little bit about your medical history and asked to look at your tongue. I, I don't know if you listened to my heart or anything like that. I can't remember. And then once that happens, then you, it takes about three to four hours for the first couple of visits. They draw your blood. So I'm guessing that's where they're testing to see if you have any original antibodies. And they also do the COVID test. And I tell people that was the worst part of the whole process for me because I always, I've done the test where you've done it yourself, you know, but it's uh-huh. different when someone else administers it for you. They so put it up both nose, both yeah. nostrils. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do it both. And it hurt. I think I heard one lady screaming in the background because it hurt so bad. That was like the only bad part of the process. So after you do your COVID test, um, they don't give you the results of that either, I don't believe. They take you to another room where you have to download an app. And this one that we use is called Traumax. And that's where you have to document if you have any um, COVID symptoms each week. So they also send you home with the COVID test. So if you yes write yes that you have any COVID symptoms, I'm guessing they direct you to take the test and then bring it in um, to get sampled. Um, and then finally, after you do all of that, you go into the room. Um, they give you a shot. They don't tell you what shot it is. But regardless, if you got placebo or vaccine, they make you stay for 30 minutes to make sure you don't have an allergic reaction or anything. And then once that's done, then you are free to go until the next visit, which in Pfizer's case was three weeks later. And so on that app, you're just tracking your symptoms every, well, you're only tracking if you have any COVID symptoms every um, week for that. Okay. Okay. Did you start to have any symptoms during those first initial three weeks? Um, I didn't have any COVID symptoms, but I had side effects from the vaccine. Well, what I assumed to be the vaccine because of the side effects. <laughs> but the next day when I woke up, I was really fatigued. And I said, mentioned before that I didn't have the flu because I don't have anything to compare it to. <laughs> but I never felt that much fatigue before where it felt hard to get out of bed. Um, also had um, body aches, warm body, um, loss of appetite and sweating. So I literally on the informed consent document had almost every side effect they mentioned, except for, I think, headache and low grade fever. And then, of course, my arm was so sore for um, a while, maybe about a week or so. But the symptoms I had that I just mentioned only lasted for about 24 hours after I got this shot. And it only happened on the first shot, too, not the second one for me. Okay. Okay. Did you have to take any medication to help kind of resolve some of those symptoms or you just did old school apple cider and vinegar (laughs) or Yeah, whatever. I just did old school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't take anything for it because I figured it wouldn't last that long. I think it probably would have if it did the next day, but I was just going to wait it out and and see (laughs) what's going on. (laughs) And then you got your second dose. Yes. Yes. And how did it go after the second dose? No symptoms after that? Yeah, I didn't have any symptoms after the second dose. The only thing was still just a sore arm. 
And then the process that I described that you went to on the first day was the same um, time, was the same exact um, steps as that. So we still had to go through and take another test, pregnancy test, um, and get your COVID test. So that would be hopefully the last COVID test <laughs> that I have to ever take. Um, and then you get your shot. So yeah, so after that one, I didn't have any side effects except for the sore arm like I did the first time, which was I was happy about. <laughs> okay. Do you know anybody else that was participating in the trial? Not Pfizer's. Okay. I don't. Um, I know someone that's in the Moderna trial, but I have, I don't know people's name, but you start to see the same people because your visits in the line some of the days. Okay. All right. So when did they inform you that you got the, I'm assuming you had got the actual vaccine and not the placebo. Did they inform you? Not yet. I will know February 10th. Okay. So yeah, there's been a big push to get Pfizer to unblind everyone um, as soon as possible. So mm-hmm. the compromise was everyone will get unblinded by March 1st or on your six-month visit. So that will be my six-month um, visit that I will know for sure, which I'm assuming because I really do want to have, like I call my papers, <laughs> to say that I'm vaccinated. So I'll know soon, and I'm hoping I didn't, like, make up, you know, and have the placebo effect and make up my, my symptoms. Okay. All right. Do you have any worry about the vaccine, the after effects, the long-term effects from possibly getting this? I don't. And just, and I only don't. And I know I'm not a medical professional, but just because the more I've looked into it and, and read about it, it just doesn't seem like that's a really a thing. Um, and then I, I did actually read through the whole um, document about about the trial and what happened during the trial, and like who was enrolled in it, the people that had comorbidities, um, even people found out they got pregnant during the Pfizer trial. I know that was a big question that people had about infertility and different things like that. So the more I kind of read through the different side effects and knowing now how clinical trials work, they have to list everything, even though it might be unrelated. I think one person died in the trial, but they got struck by lightning. And it's not like the vaccine may be more electromagnetic, but you know, when you see someone die, it's like, okay, yes. And maybe they were in a vaccine group, but then when you hear how, you kind of have to decipher that. So after reading everything and somebody knowing, will blame the lightning on the vaccine. Yeah, I know somebody will. <laughs> the vaccine or one of them five G towers. Exactly, I know, right? <laughs> and it's like the odds. I feel like they think they said and other things, which wasn't related to that, but they were saying like the odds of having a side effect is like getting struck by lightning. But I'm like somebody literally did <laughs> in the crowd too. Um, Boy, don't let yeah, me but the, yeah. So, the, but the more I read into it, the less. I am concerned about it. And just because I also wanted to see about past vaccines that I've taken. So I was in college during um, H1N1 and found out that that vaccine as well was made in six months. And then I would, I got that in college. And I guess this was now 10 years later. I don't think I have any you know, long-term effects from it or anyone that I know that's gotten it. So it just seems like that's not necessarily a thing that most of this stuff shows up, they said, I think within six weeks. So I'm not worried about it. And of course, like they say, the opposite of it is we do know the long-term effects of COVID. And even though I did, you know, I guess have a, something with COVID before, you just never know how it react, how you can react to it. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I made the right decision um, by participating. And I'm kind of excited too that we have this new technology to allow us to develop medications and vaccines faster because we shouldn't have to wait, you know, 10 years because <laughs> mm-hmm. we're down the line for all this stuff to happen, especially when we're in like dire situations like we are now. Right, right. And shout out to them people that got pregnant between the first dose and the second dose. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Quarantine and chill. <laughs> right. It was working. It was working. <laughs> so you kind of mentioned earlier that you had the an- positive antibodies before you started. Did yeah. you start to worry that you may have some effects 
from your possible, from your exposure previously long-term that made you think like, well, let me see if this vaccine can possibly prevent long-term effects since I've been exposed in the past? Yeah, I haven't had anything that I think that triggered it. I think I was just more curious just because I said I know not necessarily had allergies. I still don't know what it was, but in March had something. I don't even know, but my positive antibody test was literally like July 4th. So I don't even know if it would pick up something from that far before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was um, just curious, but I did have a friend who I was around like in March and in, in that time, he also did an antibody test and they came back negative. Mm-hmm. So we're still trying to figure out, you know, if I did have it, did I give it to anyone or how did I <laughs> ever get it? Mm-hmm. So I wasn't necessarily looking for the vaccine to cure anything, but I think once I heard too that they were saying the antibodies might last for three months, I was like, okay, well maybe this will help solidify that I can have some immunity a little bit longer um, too. Was this whole process smoother than you thought it would be? Yeah. So most people ask, um, which I wasn't sure either before I signed up about how they can make sure that it works. I think what I learned is that there's, I guess, some clinical trials, which are called challenge studies, where they intentionally like inject you with COVID or whatever the thing is they're trying to protect you against to make sure it works. So if people have asked me, I think when people think about a clinical trial, they think about somebody being like on a, I don't know, like a stretcher or something, <laughs> like, you know, all these tubes going through them, mm-hmm. trying to see what happens. And it's like, no, it's just really, they're pretty much like the same thing you're doing when you get the vaccine. You're just getting it, but you're just monitoring a little bit more um, for it. So yeah, so it opened my eyes to it. It also made me more um, willing to, and I get, think I get all ads now for clinical trials. I get called for COVID trials all the time now, but I also see ads for other clinical trials. And then realizing that a lot of the times while we aren't able to produce a lot of medications and I guess vaccines because not a lot of people volunteer. So it makes me more able to know, you know, if they need healthy volunteers for future studies that I might be willing to do that, knowing, you know, the impact of that, of not having the access to that. Right, right. You've been doing a lot of promotion for the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> they slide you some money on the side. I wish. I'm like, if Pfizer, you know, wants to offer me <laughs> a job, and no, they're not. I <laughs> I think when I um, signed up for the trial, I was a little naive by thinking that once I shared my story, everybody's going to try to sign up and be in the trial too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, you know, the more people we have, we need more Black people in the trial to make sure this works in us so we don't want to be in the same boat when it comes out and finds out, like we did like with the HPV vaccine, that it doesn't protect us the same way if we don't have enough people enrolled. So now I knew that, you know, I think after I first came out with my story and had an interview on the news, but I think I had like 500 comments just bashing me about it, which I understand. I understand people's hesitancy with it and, of course, our history with it. But that just made me realize I need to work a little bit harder for people to accept it because it's like we will never reach immunity unless people get vaccinated. And we've already been, I guess, now almost a year with COVID in the U.S. And I figured if I could help, you know, convince a few people and if they get it and convince other people that we can get closer to that. And especially for the black community, because it's like we are being affected the most. And I know people are scared of the vaccine, but it's like if we don't get it, we're still going to be affected the most. And that's why I've just been trying to push it so hard. So anytime I see um, friends and family that get the vaccine, they always call me and text me or post about it on there. So it's feel like it's working. Um, but I still understand why people are hesitant. But I think, you know, as we approach millions and millions of people getting vaccinated, I think more people will eventually um, get it, too. Right, right. So you mentioned that you got a lot of bashing initially when you were kind of telling your story. Was it more so from the Black community or was it from people who are anti-vaccine um, population, all of the above? 
Yeah, I would say, but yeah, so the um, backlash that I had was from a, primarily from the Black community, um, but it's also a mixture of communities as well. I think, of course, a lot of anti-vaxxers too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people, the comments I saw from the Black community were asking, you know, how come, you know, have I ever heard of the Tuskegee experiment? I never heard of Henrietta Lacks, assuming that I didn't know about those things. What I like telling people is that, you know, there were bad things happen- that happened to us in the past, but the result of that is that we want to be treated, you know, more equitably in, in medicine. And that's like, if we have this opportunity to get the same treatment as everyone else and we're being offered to it, why, you know, why wouldn't we take advantage of it? So, but I understand, you know, the hesitancy for it. Um, but yeah, the backlash made me a little bit afraid to not ever speak about it again. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm never going to tell anybody that I'm in this trial. But then the more, you know, they saw this, this pandemic was still going to last and the more stuff that's being affected in our community, I knew I still had to speak out about it because this was coming. We're going to have this vaccine and we need people to take it and feel comfortable taking it too. Okay. Have people been sending you personal messages to get more information on the vaccine? Yes, <laughs> they have. Um, I had a friend who DM me, asked me if I could call um, them to ask Pat some questions about the vaccine, which I answered. So yeah, so people have, I think people assume, I've been in the trial since August. So I've, you know, assumed that I got my vaccine August and September. I think people think I just got it, you know, because <laughs> people are asking me like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, well, you know, it's been like six months <laughs> or so. I'm, I'm doing well. <laughs> um, They're still worried that six months later that you'll start feeling yeah. stuff later or start growing right. another year or something like that. Yeah, so I had a um, friend who got the Moderna vaccine on Sunday. And so she texted me saying, you know, she had more side effects than I did. <laughs> she had like a low grade fever, chills and body aches. And she asked me, you know, what did I do for those side effects? And I, you know, didn't do anything because I didn't have those. But I just like looked up and saw what other people did based on the trial groups that I'm in. And they just took child at all. And then I had another um, person whose parents just got her mom and grandma just got it. And they had, um, I think, a headache, um, low grade fever as well. And she asked me, you know, some Moderna vaccine, okay? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, so that's normal. Uh, you know, they're going to have some side effects. She said, okay, they're doing better now. So people are asking me questions. It makes me feel good. But, I, you know, at the end of the day, I always tell them, you know, I'm in a trial, but I'm not a medical professional. So, you know, if, if anything, you always ask your doctor. But, of course, make the best, you know, decision for you and your family, too. Have you realized the gravity and importance of the work that you've done? I think so now. So at first, you know, um, I didn't think much of it. I was like, okay, I just kind of wanted this pandemic to end, see if I could help um, be part of this. But now seeing how it's impacted everything, um, yeah. So it makes me feel a little, it feels a little surreal. Because even though I feel like I played a a small role in it, but just knowing that um, I even looked at the data, I think I'm one of, out of the trial, there was about 3,900 African-Americans. And knowing if that was a little bit less, we still wouldn't maybe have enough data to see that this is effective. I think they got 100% efficacy because, no one technically at the time, you know, got COVID <laughs> during the trial, which was good for African-Americans in the vaccine group, at least. So, yeah, so it makes me feel good to feel like I'm a part of um, history. People even are still asking me. I see there's other clinical trials still going on for other vaccines. So people are asking me about that. I'm actually trying to get my niece to join one because they're enrolling 12-year-olds now. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure, you know, this works on children next so that everybody can get um, vaccinated. So I think by me sharing my story and people seeing, hopefully thinking I'm okay, that I don't have any, you know, <laughs> 30 or anything that people feel more comfortable taking it and also sharing about it too. Mm-hmm. Do you hope that this will expand the amount of people of color who participate in 
vaccine trials by you sharing your story? So yes, I do hope it'll encourage more people to participate in vaccine trials and then just trials in general, because I wonder, you know, 40,000 people is a lot of people I've realized for any type of clinical trial, regardless of type of study. But if we had enough people for a lot of these things, like what we could actually cure. So I'm hoping that people are more receptive to it now that they know the process. And just knowing that it's not always about you having to have that ailment that sometimes they just need healthy people just to be in a control group as well. Right. And if somebody would have told you at the beginning of doing this vaccine trial that you'd be on so many various news outlets, Today's Show, Good Morning America, I think you're on Rap City, BET. <laughs> they haven't invited me yet. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Maybe, maybe that's the wrong one. <laughs> You've been on a lot of different things. Is is that surprising to you that you've been on so many platforms? Yeah, I always said, you know, not I don't consider myself famous, but it's almost like if you were to be famous about something, would I want it to be for being in a vaccine trial? <laughs> but it just happened to be happened to be the thing. So no, yeah. Um you would have told me that, I wouldn't have thought that. Um I it just, you know, ended up growing that way just because I didn't realize how unique of a story it is. And it's like, oh, black people, we don't, you know, we don't do that. We don't <laughs> go on clinical trials, we don't mm-hmm. mess with anything experimental. So I think it became a story, but I understand why. And I was kind of glad we got a head start, even though, you know, I think the marketing and PR could still be a little bit better based on all our history. But at least I know that, you know, people can hopefully find some comfort in knowing that I'm there for them. And there's other people like me, too, that are making sure this is working for everybody. All right. Who who reached out to you first? Um, so for an interview? Mm-hmm. Um, WSB TV. Um, so my first interview was with Davida Moore. And I think just from there, I think um, other people from different news outlets um, saw me. Good Morning America. I was driving out of town and they called me because I think they saw me on WSB TV. Mm-hmm. I didn't have, I was staying in a hotel. I didn't have anything, which I was said I'll never travel without my ring light again. I had to go to Walmart <laughs> try to buy a light in this dark hotel room to do this interview. I was like, this is my first national appearance. I have to look <laughs> okay, but. Yeah, so it's kind of as far from there that people are just interested in it. So I forget how I was on Canada's Your Morning Show, and that was actually supposed to be about um, voting. Um, but then they saw I was in a clinical trial and invited me back to talk about that as well. So, yeah, so it's been interesting about how many audiences I've reached and knowing that's been international as well. How did they find you? I think they found me maybe on a hashtag, <laughs> but it was something related to politics. Yeah, it was on Instagram and she had comment, the producer had commented on my post saying that she emailed me about, you know, being on their show. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So with all this being said, would you do this over again? Yeah, I would. Um, said I, it wasn't a bad process um, for me. Um, also said recently, which I wish I could have found them sooner, found community um, on Facebook. So I'm in a couple of vaccine um, trial groups, which I wish I would have found earlier because it kind of felt like I was alone. <laughs> You know, and didn't have anybody to talk to about our experiences, but it's made me be happy and seeing the joy that they have when they can say, oh, yeah, you know, Joe Biden, you know, shouted out the clinical trial volunteers and different things like that. So it's like people, you know, we're realizing we think we've known that before that we're actually contributing to this and making it happen. And it's the fact that we volunteer to do this. So, yeah, I would definitely do it again. Um, I think um, it was a good experience. I think, you know, of course. I was hesitant at first about sharing my story, but it needs to be told so that people can feel more comfortable. And that's really, you know, all I can do. I said, I can't convince anyone to take the vaccine, but I can just tell them about my experience and about the data, what they need to make a decision. Okay. So we're going to ask you two last questions. 
Just for people who still kind of on the fence about taking the vaccine, what can you tell them to kind of get them on the other side of taking the vaccine? Yeah, so I would say if um, I know people are primarily concerned about the side effects from it. Um, there are people that have been, I think, in clinical trials now since March, I believe. So we're almost coming up, up, up a year on, on data that we have on people. And that usually I found that any question or um, concern anyone has, I'm usually able to point them to the data. Um, a lot of times for women, it's infertility. And then when I tell them, oh, yeah, you know, people got pregnant during a trial. They're like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> or different things like that. Um, so I feel like that usually helps to make a decision. And then even just telling them, you know, out of the millions of people that have been vaccinated now, of course, there's a side effect with everything. I actually did a TikTok about side effects from the Pfizer product. And everyone thought I was talking about the vaccine, which I was really talking about Advil. <laughs> because it's like they have all these side effects that you you don't pay attention to them because sometimes they're rare or they don't happen. But you do take you do take a chance with anything that you get. And this is no different, but it's just that you don't necessarily want to take the chance with COVID because you don't know how it will affect you um, in the long run. So uh, I would say if you have questions, definitely research credible sources. Don't go to YouTube <laughs> mm-hmm. video or any, you know, these links people send me all the time that, that they don't have verifi- verifiable sources. But definitely, I said, I would say encourage people to get it if you can, but talk to your physician before you do if you're still hesitant about it. Right. And if anybody still are thinking about being a part of a, a vaccine trial or some kind of other drug trial, why should they participate in it? Yeah, so they should definitely participate because you are contributing to science. So mm-hmm. I know people had felt like this vaccine was rushed, which I didn't understand at first why it was made so fast either until I researched it. Mm-hmm. And then found out even the timeline for a lot of clinical trials um, takes a long to develop because it's so much waiting and then they may not even get enough people to volunteer. So we were lucky that, I mean, I guess 70,000 or more now because we have at least probably five clinical trials going on. Some, you know, over 100,000 people have signed up to say, I want to be part of this. We have enough data. We have six months of data, you know, where we can ask for approval. So I would say if you're considering it to do it, worst case, you get the placebo. They call us volunteers, but you do get paid. It's not a lot of money. You're not going to like retire with it or anything like that, but maybe once you can like plan your next vacation with it. So, and they will screen you because they don't, so it's not in anyone's best interest for this back, any vaccine not to work. That's money that the pharmaceutical company spent that they're not getting back. Also found out vaccines aren't even profitable, which is why <laughs> um, a one dose of something isn't as profitable as something they might make you take every month. So it's no hidden agenda, but everyone's just doing it so that we can get um, back to normal um, one day. So to sign up, if you're interested, I would say do it. Um, PreventCOVID.org, especially with the way the rollout is going now, we don't know when healthy people will be able to get vaccinated. So you get a higher, a little bit of higher chance of getting it during a trial, and eventually they'll unblind you anyway, so you'll get the vaccine too. All right, cool. Thank you. Would you like to share any of your social media stuff so people can follow you on there? Yeah. Information. So Instagram, it is my first name and last name. Uh, so Ashley, N-E-A-L-Y-1. Same for Twitter. TikTok, I have a little bit of different persona on there now. I changed my name to Vaccine Dixon. <laughs> so if you go on there, you'll see some of my funny videos I've been posting about um, the vaccine. So the first video I posted about the vaccine on there got over 1.6 million views. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was definitely a conversation starter with, with people about it. So yeah, so those are my um, main handles. And then of course, I'm just Ashley Neely on Facebook too. And it got how many views again? Yeah, 1.6 million. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. 
So that's the one I did about the side effects um, that I had. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm going to have to get on TikTok now. <laughs> yeah. I got enough stuff uh, distracting me anyway. Somebody told me <laughs> I need to get on Clubhouse, and I'm like, holy boy, I need to read my Bible more. I don't know how to be on these different social media apps. But thank you for providing good information, solid information. Y'all can follow her on our social media platforms. And then also, if you have any questions, don't send them to me. Just ask your doctor. <laughs> I'm, I'm off when y'all try to send me messages. I got enough friends sending me messages, too. But if you have to, you can send me a message, and I'll answer it, like, in a week or two. But we're going to bring Ashley back for Randy's random questions. She's excited about that aspect, as all my guests are. So y'all stay tuned. So we got Ashley back for Randy's random questions. We got her on the hot seat. It's burning and it's on fire. She's ready to go. So you ready for the first question? I am a little scared, but I am ready. All right. (laughs) So question number one, what's the best part about being a cheerleader? Oh, gosh. In the past, it used to be getting thrown up in the air. I've gained some weight, so I'm not in the air anymore. <laughs> but, but it is for um, tumbling and getting to do a two and a half minute routine, um, seeing if you still got it, I guess, as an adult. <laughs> OK, OK. Can you still do like a backflip or a cartwheel? Yeah, I think so. Um, we, of course, we didn't have cheerleading season last year, but I did cheer the year before that. So and I did go to the trampoline park one time so i can do still do it i believe we're gonna see <laughs> who you've been who have you been doing cheerleading with recently yeah so we have an i started an adult cheerleading team a few years ago um so we i don't want to say we compete against other people because they're not really a lot of adult teams <laughs> but we just kind of do it for fun so a lot of people that cheered in like high school or in college that we get together and come up with a routine and go to different competitions okay too. all right yeah. cool so besides this interview, which interview has been the most fun interview that you've done with the COVID vaccine? Oh, that's a good question. I would probably say the Today Show, um, just because I'm friends with, with Blaine um, Alexander. Mm-hmm. And that was the first one or the only one I could do in person. Um, so that was um, fun. We went outside in the park and we still social distance. But I would say that's probably my most fun one, um, being able to tell my story on that platform. Okay, cool. And that's on your Linktree uh, link on your Instagram, correct? Yes, it is. Okay, so y'all make sure to go to her Instagram and y'all hit her Linktree link and you can see her Today Show interview. Why do we need more Black women in tech? Yeah, so I think what we've, seen that. So I even, I guess, give a COVID related example, and I don't remember the name of this, so you have to correct me, mm-hmm. but I believe it is called the, is it oxygenator? Or the thing that you put on your finger to take your oxygen. I forget what that's uh, called. A pulse oximeter. Yes, pulse oximeter. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I think they found out is that it doesn't work as well on black skin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there's some like variation about um, how much um, I guess it can take how much oxygen levels it are. And I said that is a result of not having enough black people in general in STEM, but definitely technology. So if you're not testing it on people like that or having people of color that are making these products, of course, you're not going to know to think about the diversity in that. So that, I think that's just one example that we've seen. Even I've heard of that, even with when you are trying to wash your hands, if it doesn't come on because it's not detecting everyone's uh-huh. thing. 
So yes, I think tech and STEM in general need more African Americans to make sure that it's equitable and that we're made in, in with in mind, so that we don't have the problems with like AI always targeting like black people for facial recognition things and use for ill. That we're at those tables to be able to develop these products and make sure that it's fair for everyone and it works for us too. You have a lot of things that you've done in tech before. So what is the most fun thing that you've done in tech? Yeah, kind of thing. There's so many things. Mm-hmm. This is not necessarily for tech, but it was more one of my, I guess, STEM advocacy things. A few years ago, I forget how many now, I had raised money to take uh, 100 girls to see Hidden Figures. So that was the movie, uh, if people aren't familiar, um, that starred Captain Johnson, I think we just passed, who was a mathematician who helped John Glenn get to the moon. So that was good for me because I was able to expose um, Black um, girls system and probably spur them to see themselves in a career they probably never thought possible. So I think that's been my probably most fun front thing. Okay. All right. So last question. What is the best food spot here in Atlanta? Oh, gosh. I have so many, but recently I live in Southwest Atlanta now. So I spend, and actually it's Tuesday, I might go tonight. I spend more time at Slim and Huskies. So I love um, going there. This black owned pizza restaurant. I love pizza and I get my salmon. I think it's called Smirking Herb Pizza from there. Okay. <laughs> it was two more spots you love too. Also love Mexican. So I would say um, Bar Taco or La Perea. And then the third place. I would say, I'm thinking the third place I go to, any ramen place that I really like ramen to. Okay, cool. All right. So we're going to let you off the hot seat. That's <laughs> it. it was not as painful as getting the vaccine. So. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no post-vaccine symptoms. No so thank you for sitting down with the podcast and discussing the vaccine. I hope people really read and learn and they've learned something from you. And they take in all the advice that you've given them and also get the vaccine or make an informed choice or also possibly participate in a trial in the future. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, did Ashley receive the vaccine? Drum roll, please. She did receive the COVID vaccine. If you go to her IG page at Ashley Neely, the number one, you can see her repping her Vax t-shirt. Shout out to Ashley taking one for the team and participating in a research trial. I know that was very scary, especially for a new virus, but it was definitely needed for humanity. Hopefully this will inspire you to possibly participate in a medical trial. I don't know about that. I know, I know. Not all medical trials are vaccines and medications. I participated in a neurology trial during medical school where they monitor my brain while doing some real trivial activities. I think I got about $75 just for doing it for that day. Most of the studies do pay you for your time and participation. I have a friend who participated in a malaria study. He was part of the challenge phase, which remember is something I discussed earlier. He was vaccinated and then also injected with malaria. Oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. I can totally understand that. Hell, I wouldn't do it either. However, he was compensated for his time and participation with a couple of thousand dollars, and they monitored him overnight in a hotel where medical staff were close to him in case something bad happened. And he's totally fine now. So yeah, look up some trials and see if you maybe want to participate in one one day. 
Go back and listen to the earlier segments to learn about the phases of drug trials and vaccines I discussed earlier. It's too much for me to kind of summarize again at the end. Wait, wait, wait. What's up in her voice? I know these trials take years to occur. How did these vaccines get approved so fast? Well, they got approved because of the emergency use authorization. What's that? What's that? I I, I know what you're talking about. Well, according to the FDA, the emergency use authorization, so I'll just say EUA for short when I'm explaining this, the EUA is a mechanism to facilitate the availability and use of medical countermeasures, which in this instance is vaccines during public health emergencies such as the current COVID-19 pandemic. Under the EUA, the FDA may allow the use of unapproved medical products or unapproved uses of approved medical products in an emergency to diagnose, treat, or prevent serious or life-threatening diseases or conditions when certain criteria have been met. So there are certain bars or measures that these vaccines or treatment plans have to meet for the FDA to approve them. And there also have to be no adequate alternatives to treatment and vaccinations. For an EUA to be issued for a vaccine for which there is adequate manufacturing information to ensure quality and consistency, so the company has to provide good information on how they're actually making the vaccine and the initial information they've had in their studies, For the EUA to be issued by the FDA, the FDA must determine that the known and potential benefits outweigh the known and potential risk of the vaccine. So like I say to my patients about taking the vaccine, it's reward versus risk. The FDA looks at the data and assesses is the reward greater than the risk when approving the EUA. That's what you need to assess for yourself too as well. I believe that the reward is greater than the risk. Talk to your physician if you have concerns and questions. I hope I've provided you with good information so that you can be more knowledgeable and make your own decision regarding getting vaccinated. As always, rate, like, subscribe, and share with others if you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks, Erica, with 30 A's at the end of your name for leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts. I think you missed an A at the end. Stay healthy physically and mentally. And I'll see you all next week. That was a good episode. Well, thank you, Inner Voice. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't talking to you. I was caught up watching an episode of Martin over here. Man, here comes here comes uh, Hustle Man singing Pick Up the Pieces. Man, it kills me on that part. <sighs> you can't give me any credit. I just put in all that effort and you can't give me any positivity. Man, what are you talking about? I just want some positive feedback from you, Inner Voice. That's all I want. Tell me I'm doing a good job. Give me some words of affirmation. Man, you're so sensitive. I bet you have about three throw blankets scattered throughout your house. What does that even mean? If you have more than three throw blankets, you're sensitive. How many throw blankets do you have? I don't know what you're talking about. How? many throw blankets do you have five i have five there you have it
I have five throw blankets. Oh, you sensitive, sensitive. I'm anemic and I get cold. I need those throw blankets. Sure, sure. I'm out. I'm out of here. You always talking negative to me and won't give me no positive feedback. I've been doing this podcast for like 11 to 12. I don't even know how many episodes now. And you won't even tell me that I'm doing a good job. You haven't even left a comment and you be with me all the time. <sighs> and I hate it here. It's stupid. I just go eat some ice cream. Make me feel better. If you're still listening to this foolery, thank you. I, nothing's wrong with me. Something's wrong with you for sticking all the way to the end of this foolery. Once again, thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'll see you all again next week. Stay healthy physically and mentally.